men generally do not enjoy shopping. All right, um, this is a you know no mystery to any of us. I love that commercial. It's an older commercial where. Um, and naturally, it's a cold beverage commercial where uh, some women are, are, are shopping uh, at a department store. They're happy that, you know, their male counterparts are not bothering them to leave until they discover the men are actually, have actually hunkered into a clothes rack. They made a clothes rack. Inside this clothes rack, they managed to wedge in a television, a grill, and small seats. Uh, for their entertainment, right? And they're sitting around, they're having a barbecue, and it's good, clean fun. Uh, one of my favorites there. Uh, one reason I think we don't enjoy shopping, we're not very adept at it, is that, ladies, we know that you will train us to simply ask you what you want us to wear, all right? And, you know, at first this is, comes, this is annoying if you're in a relationship, but eventually, men, if you're smart, you just give in. You just say, you know, I don't care. Right, I'm just going to give up to this. And, you, and I, I actually say, I have grown to like this and prefer it in my life. Uh, I don't really have to worry anymore. I'm going to wear it. I'll ask for new clothes. I just pick something and put it on. And Cayman, it's even better, right? Uh, you don't want to buy things here. It's so, it's so darn expensive, right? And so it's a perfect place for a male, right? We just, uh, oh, what? <laughs> this old t-shirt? <laughs> yes, it's still on. I only have five shirts, right? I got to use something. Now, I'm a little reluctant to share the story I'm about to with you because it involves me shopping. Uh, the setting of the story involves shopping. I don't normally like to shop and certainly don't like to by myself. But here I was one day in, uh, near, living near Chicago, uh, back in the States. Uh, I was at this uh, nice mini mall or strip mall, right? one of these outdoor malls. It's got like Old Navy and Barnes and & Noble, those sorts of things. I stopped to grab some lunch. Sitting uh, across from me, this guy, and you know, I just kind of crossed the way, I said hello, and we just strike up a conversation. The guy's name is Doug, really good guy, um, you know, easy to talk to, intelligent, and a minor league hockey player. All right, I want you to put those last two statements together for you Canadians out there, I know you'll like that. Intelligent and a minor league hockey player. I didn't, you know, who knew, right? Uh, this guy, though, he was smart. Anyhow, so uh, Doug, good guy. We talked long enough where I can ask him a little bit about his spiritual journey and his thoughts about God. And uh, he had attended some churches and this sort of thing. And eventually he brought up his friend in college who told him he was born again. I was like, oh, man, that's, that's great. I said, did, did your friend ever share with you his faith or, or talk to you about what it means to be born again? He said, uh, you know, he replied that he never once shared his faith or explained what it meant to be born again, but merely asked, Doug, have you been saved by Jesus? Have you been saved by Christ? And when Doug replied, when he said he replied no, his friend got mad at him, got ticked off, wouldn't talk to him for the remainder of the day upset that he wouldn't become a Christian just by asking this question. Now, you might be visiting this morning or just listening in and perhaps you've been to a number of church services. Perhaps you even have friends who talk a lot about Jesus or you've seen they're passionate about this person, Jesus. If that's the case, you might not have ever had anyone, though, sit down with you and actually share with you the good news 
of Jesus. The good news, the good message that Jesus came to bring. If you're like me, you may be afraid or fearful of sharing faith in a situation. And one of the things you convince yourself of is they've already heard, right? But the truth is, like Doug the hockey player, so many haven't. Also like Doug, people get some weird and unfortunate examples of what the gospel is. All right? From preachers and friends alike. Weird examples. As historian Arnold Toynbee once said, that most people have not rejected Christianity, but a caricature. You get that? Most people have rejected the good news of Jesus, the freeing gospel of Christ, the life and liberty that God offers through this message of good news. Most people haven't rejected that. They've rejected a caricature of that, a fabrication, a fake. All of this, we talk about this, is a great entry point to actually begin a conversation with someone about Jesus. Rather than rely on past preachers, friends, relatives, you can begin a conversation with someone by saying, hey, has anyone sat down with you one-on-one and actually shared why Jesus' good news is so good? Has anyone done that with you? Can I be that person? Can I share with you? Simple as that. Open your Bibles if you have them with you to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to finish studying 2 Corinthians 5 this morning where we find the good news of Jesus. God's gospel. Now up to this point, before we read, we're going to read verses 18 through 21. Up to this point, Paul has been saying, talking about what motivates him to share this good news that Jesus came to, come to bring. All right, he came to bring this good news. What motivates him to, to share it? He's been talking about how his life has been changed by this good news. And he says, starting in verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word elsewhere says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for everyone who trusts in you. There's an inherent, innate power about this message, Jesus. I pray that that power would penetrate our hearts and minds. I don't know what's going on in each person's life right now. I know in my own heart, 
Lord, I've had anxieties, thoughts about other things this morning. God, your gospel is the most important thing we can listen to this morning. It can change our whole lives and how we share it and sharing it can change someone else's life, Lord. Please give us ears to listen, hearts to accept and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, our goal this morning is simply this. We're going to learn how to communicate God's gospel. All right? Two of the top reasons people don't share the gospel I've already mentioned. One, people don't know how. They, don't, they want to learn how to share the gospel because they don't know how. The other one is people assume that the persons they encounter have already heard the gospel. Well, as I mentioned this morning, so many have not heard it one-on-one. And hopefully this morning you can learn how to share it. Our sermon title this morning, I'm calling it Sharing God's Gospel on Napkins. Sharing God's Gospel on Napkins. Uh, you should have received a napkin and pen when you walked in this morning. And uh, don't ever say we don't give anything away here at Sunrise. We don't have a big budget. We're a young church. But we gave you napkins this morning, all right? The pens are on loan. Please give those back. <laughs> we need those again. But I would also like to thank, before I begin, uh, Marta over at uh, Carlos and Martins, who allowed me to grab a stack of napkins, uh, some of which we're using this morning, and allowed me to do this presentation. Martha was a very nice waitress, and I'd like to thank Carlos and Martins for that. So, <laughs> I really don't say this to, uh, what I'm going to say here, to toot my own horn, but I'm just, I've had the blessing, and I'm very thankful to God that he's put me in situations to share the gospel a number of times, the good news of Jesus. And I kid you not when I say, at least 20 times in my life, I've got to share the good news of Jesus using napkins. All right? Napkins. We love them. We write on them all the time. Why are they so great? First of all, there's a 50-50 chance that someone you encounter who doesn't know Jesus, almost 50-50, that they're a visual learner. So it's going to be good to have something to write on. You can show them and not just explain to them through verbal words. Secondly, many of you may have a great book or a tract. You may have seen tracts like The Four Spiritual Laws, Steps to Peace with God, great little things on how to become a Christian. So you might have those. You may have an inspirational video about the good news of Jesus. None of those things are you likely to have with you when you visit a restaurant, right? A pub, a cafe, a coffee shop, something of that nature. And those are the places and the times you are most likely to encounter pre-Christians. By pre-Christians, I mean people who don't yet know Jesus. But we are praying for them and eagerly anticipating that God is going to work in their life to trust Jesus. Finally, there's a third reason. Many of us are turned off by prefabricated literature, right? We don't like it. I had some people show up to my door a couple months ago. Maybe you had the same people show up to your door with uh, literature in hand. They handed it to me right away. Immediately, I'm turned off. Right? Not just because I'm a pastor, right? Not by my own beliefs and propaganda, right? Um, but I, I, look, I look at it. I say, Pro- this is propaganda. I'm not going to look at it. A lot of people are turned off. They, they don't want you to hand you a magazine, something that's you know, pre-done, something that you didn't put your own blood, sweat, and tears into. What restaurants, eateries, pubs, cafes all have are napkins. 
And all you got to supply is the pen. So I'm relying on you for that. All right? The other place will give you a free napkin. I'm trusting Jesus for that. All right, so I'm going to visually demonstrate the gospel for you this morning on napkins through PowerPoint. You've got to love technology and like 1930s inventions like napkins. Actually, 1930s, that's crazy. I don't know when napkins were invented. I should have looked that up. What do you think? 1500s? Let's say that, all right? Old inventions combined with PowerPoint. We're going to see it today up on the screen. I encourage you to follow along using your pen and your napkin to learn how to share the gospel, okay? You can use your Bible as a hardback there. Um, so let's look, because Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, actually explains the gospel. He starts with, who is God? And that's where the gospel starts. Who is God, right? He says, in verse 18, all of this, everything I've been talking about is from God. And as I've been explaining in this series, little brief mini-series, the gospel begins and ends with God. God is the point, he is the end, and he is the origin of the gospel. Even when we start sharing the gospel, like Paul, we ought to begin with God. And when I share about who God is with people, I just make three points about who God is. You don't have to memorize scripture with it, though I'm going to encourage you to use scripture in a moment. Love, perfect, just. God is love, he's perfect, he's just. These things are important to the gospel as you go along. Alright, and don't assume people know that. You know, I've known many people who don't assume that God is just. Who question if God is loving. Who think, what, isn't God just like one of us? Right? So what I do is I draw God in this cloud shape. Put that up here. Here we go. And by the way, uh, I could not find a hand model for this this week. I looked everywhere. Uh, so you just get, uh, just get my hand, which uh, I think is very nice. Uh, you know, I, uh, oh, I'll stop there. All right. So what I like to do is draw God in a cloud shape. Now the reason I do this is to point out two things. God is spiritual. All right. That's why I don't draw God as a stick figure. And I also want to emphasize that God is totally other than us. Even God's love is totally other than our love. Right? When human love gives up on people, God says, and he says this in his word in the book of Hosea, God says, but I am God and not man. Right? People want to know there's a love out there other than human love. It's good, and it's right, and it's biblical to say God is other than us. Also along the way, as I do this presentation, all right, I like to use and jot down scripture, as you'll see up here. Hey, all right, if you can partially see. All right, so I've talked about up and down three scriptures up here. Now I do this for three reasons. One, using scripture does three things. Assuming you don't use the napkin to wipe off the uh, whipped cream from your cappuccino and you actually give it to the other person at the end of your time with them, uh, they can go and actually look up these scripture references later. Which is a great benefit. Because people have all the time in the world, a lot of time to themselves. You only have the short window with them. But if you give them God's word, they can go look it up later. And even if they don't have a Bible, tell them to Google 1 John 4.8. If you Google 1 John 4, 8, the first thing that will come up as a reliable scripture translation. 
Alright, they just click on it, they read it. It's great. Secondly, using scripture along the way gives people confidence that you know what you're talking about. You don't have to know everything when sharing the gospel. But it is helpful because people want to know that what you're saying is worth their time. Right? People's time is valuable to them. They want to know that you know something about this. You care about it. You're passionate about it. And scripture also for other reasons. Thirdly, Scripture is powerful. Isaiah 55 says that God's word, when he sends it out, will not return to him empty, but will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which he sent it. It will accomplish exactly what he wants. He doesn't say that about our words. He doesn't say that about great music. He says that about his word. So, I have chosen to use, I often use 1 John 4, 8, which simply says God is love. Alright? I just jot it down. I don't write out the scripture. It's like God is love. Matthew 5, 40, 48, which says, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I choose not to use, you can use perfection or holiness. I don't like to use holiness because a lot of people who don't know Jesus, they just think that's a, you know, it's a, just a religious word. I don't know what that means. No, perfect. God is perfect in every way. His character, the way he deals with people. Perfect. Matthew sixteen twenty seven. I jot that down. Where it talks about that God will repay each person according to what he's done. God will repay each person according to what he's done. God, in other words, is just. Alright? See that? Love, perfect, just. That's God. There's more, I know. But you only have a limited time. Alright, so, from that point, I like to then transition, talk about how great God's love is. God is so loving that he couldn't contain that love. He loved people so much, or he loved so much, he wanted to make beings, human beings, with whom he could share that love in a relationship with them. And so he created us, human beings. And that leads us to our next step. So we started with who is God. The next step is us. Us. And our big problem. Alright, Paul mentions it here in 2 Corinthians. He references it in verse 19, 2 Corinthians 5, that about trespasses. Right? He also trespasses, which essentially is violating God's law, right? Sin. We human beings have this problem. We've decided to say no to God and to his ways. Right? We see this from the time that we're born. Right? Kids from the youngest of age like to say, no! And usually not in that deep of voice. <laughs> a little lighter. I haven't gone through puberty yet. But they say no from their favorite words. It begins very early in our life, the moment we're born, really, to the very end of our life. We like to go our own way. Isaiah 53, 6. This is a verse I like to jot down. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Right? And so we move away. That's why I like to draw Isaiah 53, 6 on the other side. But that's... <laughs> not that. You don't have to do that. We've all gone our own way. 
God in his perfection and his holiness has never sinned. And because he cannot allow any imperfection to enter into his presence, if it did, it would be blown to bits. That's how glorious and awesome God's inapproachable light is. Scripture actually calls God who dwells in inapproachable light. Anyway, he is so perfect. He cannot be around sin. And so our sin separates us from God. So what I do at this point, I draw a chasm between us and God. This is called the bridge illustration. You may have seen it before. So here we go. Draw a bridge between us and God. And there's this chasm or this canyon in between us because we are separated from God. At this point, I might mention Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can be a good person, but you're imperfect. And so you fall short. I do too. Important to use I along the way, by the way. Remember that you're a sinner. You've been saved by grace. We think we're pretty good. And that's enough. And, you know, it's nice to share stories along the way. When you get, present the gospel, I'll share one with you now. Uh, I had someone share a story with me about constructing this big auditorium, bigger than this one. And once it was done, it was time for the final inspection. And the, uh, the builder got one of his staff members to set up a spotlight and to shine it directly into the rafters. All right? Above the catwalks up there. And when he did that, a number of previously obscured imperfections came to light, right? They were revealed. Lo and behold, minutes later, the, uh, the original contracting people came in and, um, <laughs> and they immediately, as soon as they saw the spotlight... They said they couldn't examine a building like that. You can't examine. They said to the owner, you can't examine a building like that. In fact, he even pulled out the contract and showed him in the contract where it says that the building must be inspected under normal lighting. Casual lighting, it said. The story always makes me think of God's holiness. Because honestly, I know most of you guys out there are good people. You're nice. You know, and, and, and people you share the gospel, they're nice people. They're good people in some, some way, shape, or form under normal lighting compared to each other. But in light of God's holiness, His glory, it reveals the truth of who we are. And we're imperfect. We fall short that we naturally live for ourselves. The consequence of living for ourselves, of sin, of sin, is death. It's not the most fun part to explain, but we need to tell people the truth about their condition without Jesus. It's death. Romans 6.23 says the wages, or you can think of it like the wages of what you receive from work. The natural consequence of you working is to receive money. God says the natural consequences of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We do all kinds of things. So we write death down here. 
at the bottom. I, I usually draw it in the pit. And I say the natural thing that we human beings try to do is bridge that chasm. All right, we recognize that we're imperfect. Okay, I agree with that. What can I do to get to God? This is what human beings spend a lot of their lives doing. is constructing ways they can bridge that chasm from themselves to God. How can I get across? And so we do things like donate to charities. Do benevolence work, right? We, uh, we go to church. We're faithful to our spouse, to our kids. But all of these things are religion. Religion being man's attempt to reach God. But Christianity and the gospel message is God's accomplishment of reaching man. Man cannot reach God. So will always be imperfect. But God can reach man. And here's how. That's where I get to our third step, which is God's rescue plan. Alright? We have this big problem in ourselves. We can't bridge the chasm as much as we do. If we don't do anything about it, we have death before us. But God has a rescue plan. As Paul says in verse 21, For our sake, the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin, even though he didn't even know sin in his life. He wasn't familiar with it. He never committed it. God is love. He loves us, so he has a plan in mind to rescue us from certain and deserved death. Someone reminded me this week that everything costs something. Right? Time you spend, even good time with other people. It costs something we find it worth it a lot of times. God's plan costs something as well. Same is true of God's rescue plan. He couldn't just forgive us. He is just, remember? So somebody had to pay. Had to be someone who is like us and could thus take our place and yet was not already guilty. Paul says that person is Jesus who on the cross became sin. Think of the radical nature of this. The most detestable thing to God the Father. The most offensive thing in his eyes. God the Son became that. He took on the guilt and the punishment for that. For the first time in all the world, all of the universe, all of time, eternity, past and present. Jesus the Son was separated from God the Father because God punished him for the sin of mankind, turned his back on him, and he was separated from God. He took the place for us. We deserve the cross. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. Jesus took the place. In fact, if you want to I didn't plan saying this, but if you want to just summarize the gospel briefly, you can do it like this. It's a man. The problem is man has substituted himself for God. The solution is God substituted himself for man. And it's awesome. The fourth step. He 
is sharing what this rescue plan accomplishes. Verse 19, Paul says that in this rescue plan, God is reconciling the world to himself. And then in verse 21, so that we might become the righteousness of God. What this rescue plan accomplishes is three things. One, we have a new relationship with God. And it's important to share this with someone. You can have a new relationship with God. God is the end of, a, end of the gospel and you can know him for all eternity. And that is what he has created you for. To be in his presence. A wise person, St. Augustine, once said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Friends, people want that rest. They want to know, have a new relationship with God in which that guilt goes away. Which brings us to our second thing. To bring up, you get a new start. Total, permanent forgiveness. A clean slate. That burden you felt, you've sensed of guilt, totally taken away by Jesus. Thirdly, you become a new person. As it says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, we read last week, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. One of the great aspects, the amazing truths of the gospel is that the Father, Jesus says that the Father and I want to come in you and make our home with you. You become a home for Jesus and the Father through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inhabits you. God is inside of you. If you trust your life to Christ, and He begins to change you from the inside out. So those are the four, the four steps to share. The four points of the gospel, if you will. But then you need to make sure you do this. Make sure you ask the person, are you interested in making this good news good for you? Do you want to make this good news good for you? You can do that through trust. Guys, we have to, I want to make it crystal clear here that a personal response is necessary. Maybe not at that moment. But at some point, a personal response is next, necessary. It comes in the form of trusting Jesus. Trusting your life to Him. So right there, I, I circle trust. And before I showed earlier, reconcile to God, I draw an arrow across. You can get to God. The cross bridges the gap from us to God. How do you make this true for yourself? And the good news for yourself is through trust. And I, the last thing I want to talk about is I tell people, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. There's only one requirement for knowing God and following Him. It's trust. That's it. Trust, faith, belief. It's all, interestingly enough, the same word in the original Bible, which was written in Greek. And what specifically about Jesus are you trusting? You're trusting that He is God, He's Lord, and that He forever forgives. Make it simple. He's God, He forever forgives. That's what you're trusting Him for. But you're trusting in Him, and you're trusting your life to Him. That's all you have to do to be a Christian. But it's all you have to do to be a Christian. You know what I mean? 
Friends, one of the interesting things that Paul says in this passage we read today, he says, and he pleads with his people, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why is this so interesting? He says this while training people to share their faith, right? That's weird. He's basically saying, some of you need to hear this message for yourselves, to be reconciled to God for yourself. Don't worry about sharing with others. Listen to it for yourself. The reality is, you might be here today, and you haven't trusted your life to Jesus. For yourself. I plead with you, plead with you, consider being reconciled to God. For those of us who have trusted Jesus, you will encounter this issue constantly. When wanting to share the gospel with someone, like Paul did here with the Corinthians, a number of people will say they're Christian. But you wonder because they've wandered. Right? Not being judgmental. You just want to share the good news of Jesus with them. You, want to, you hope that they have eternal life. And so you just wonder, man, have they really trusted their life to Christ? I look at your life, I'm wondering. I had a conversation with a friend this week over lunch, and he brought up uh, Katy Perry as an example. Uh, I don't, now, if you're <clears throat> in your 30s, like me, and, and, and also if you have children especially, you've reached a critical juncture when it comes to pop culture, popular culture, right? Uh, and that critical juncture is the descent. You fall away from understanding things of the world, all right? Uh, it starts with, fi- with not finding out until the weekend that Lindsay Lohan was in jail, all right? That's where it begins, all right? Then you go to use labels like young and up-and-coming for actresses like Winona Ryder, all right? She's not young and up-and-coming anymore, and I've just realized this in my life. Uh, and then you begin to, like, mispronounce names, right? I think this happens more in your 40s. Uh, you mispronounce names like Keanu Reeves. You say, oh, yeah, Colonel Reeves, right? You see that movie? It was Speed. No, you know, I wasn't born in that day. It was, that was a long time ago. His name isn't Colonel Reeves. My, my parents, for example, who I love and adore uh, for years in their 40s, uh, they watched the show Seinfeld with me. And even though they liked the show and watched it for three years, even in year three, they call it Steinfeld. I said, no, no, that's wrong. That's okay. Finally, the, 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 the end of this, you hit rock bottom when you realize one week later that no one in your office failed to inform you the day that Michael Jackson died, right? And one week later, I'm bringing it, it's been a year, it's been over a year, I can bring up his death now. Uh, and, you know, you ask, why didn't anyone tell me? Well, we didn't think you'd be interested, right? That's rock bottom, all right? You have lost touch with society. I am beginning this descent in my life when I had this conversation because he brings up, my friend brings up Katy Perry, and all I know is that she's famous, right? So I'm beginning the descent, and I think she might be a singer, is that right? I didn't even look this up this week. Yes, I'm getting a head ahead. Okay. She's a singer. She sings. We know that. So he brings her up as an example. He's saying that she used to be an avid churchgoer. Right? She was maybe a self-proclaimed Christian. She used to sing in the, her church choir. So his question was, how can someone go from a life 
knowing Jesus, to a life lived in total rebellion towards God. Not just struggling, but total rebellion. It's a good question. It's a question I think a lot of us deal with when we're sharing the gospel with others and deal with ourselves. My answer was this. People cease caring about and meditating on the gospel. The same good news that I just laid out for you guys. Start thinking in this mentality that the, the gospel was once for you. But it's now for them. Right? Martin Luther, great reformer in the church, bright guy, loved Jesus, used to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, that our hearts default mode. The default mode of our hearts is do-it-yourself religion. He said, like, if you just leave your heart to itself, it'll try to do Christianity on its own. In other words, I do good deeds on my own strength and in order to make up for my bad deeds so that I might earn favor with God. I do it on my own strength and in order to make up for the bad stuff I did. That is our default mode. And I mean all of us. In other words, left to ourselves, left to myself, without meditating on the gospel, I try to do Christian life on my own, and I leave the gospel behind. And it becomes all about me. So in fame, in the case of Katy Perry, power, greed, anger, but also hopelessness and despair come knocking at our door, we're ready to welcome it with open arms. Because we stopped really relying on Jesus and the gospel. We stopped thinking and meditating on the good news each day of our lives. If you're like me, you know Jesus. You love him. You cannot forget the best person on whom to practice sharing the gospel is yourself. Yourself. 